The West Coast Traveler is an adventure in itself with content created by professional journalists and amazing photos provided by our readers. WestCoastTraveler.com is the newest travel network exploring all corners of Western Canada and the U.S. You'll see stunning photos and videos, read engaging travel features from around Western Canada and the U.S. Experience all the West Coast has to offer. Begin planning your next adventure. Visit WestCoastTraveler.com. Welcome to Measure Twice, Cut Once, the podcast from Haven, the Home Builders Association of Vancouver. From codes to kitchens. Safety to sun decks. We'll take you behind the walls in all things home building design and renovation. And give you the ins and outs from the experts. To help you build or renovate the right home for you. In plain language. Focused on home building design and renovation. I'm Jennifer Lee Gunson. And I'm Mike Friedman. Now that you're here, why not hit subscribe and you'll never miss another episode. Hey, Mike, here we go again. Yeah, back in the studio for another round, and I'm particularly excited about today's guest as I worked on this project with him as a sound consultant. I didn't know that. That's really cool that you got to bring your two worlds together, high-tech audio and podcasting. It really is the best of everything. High-performance entertainment meets high-efficiency homes. And I got to tell you, I mean, before we get started, I was in this home a number of times, and every time I go in there, I am still amazed at how spacious and well-laid out it is. It's just such a great space. So very excited to talk to you both today. Of course, getting to work with Nick Bray of Nick Bray Architecture and Lucila Diaz of Harmony Sense Interior Design was a great opportunity to contribute to this home. And this home is leading the way in both energy efficiency and design as solutions. So it really is a special place. And I've toured through the early stages of the home when it was in the framing stage. And I'm very intrigued to uh, see what it looks like now. I've heard a lot of great things. We both have Nick and Lucila in the studio today. Welcome to you both. Before we get onto the project, I always like to dive deep into people because I like knowing what they did before or if this is what they've done their whole life so can you tell a little bit of your life story obviously we can't take hours but <laughs> just the Coles Notes version of each of your life stories please um yeah well I was working uh working back in London uh sort of be 12 13 years ago now I was focusing very much on on large-scale sustainable residential buildings uh, as an architect and the recession hit and it was a good time to uh, to get out of the city so managed to randomly get a job with an architectural charity uh, called Article 25 and they sent me out to oversee some projects in in Burma and Thailand and I just carried on traveling after that really uh, uh, for about a year or so and ended up in, in Vancouver for the Olympics. Uh, no intention to stay whatsoever and here I am 11 years later. So the Olympics made an impression on you and you <laughs> stayed on. <laughs> I met a lot of great people. I was very, very fortunate. Met some fantastic people. Ended up getting a, a, a fantastic job and uh, yeah, just one thing led to another and uh, yeah, here I am. And Lucila, I read so much about you and I, I'm kind of curious to know, I'm reading about your production design for HGTV's Property Brothers. I want all the dirt on that if you can give us <laughs> I always want to know the inner workings of reality TV. Tell us a little bit about yourself and including what led you up to that point and to what you're doing now. So I have been doing design now for 16 years, but I completely switched careers when I landed here in Vancouver to do an MBA degree. I have been doing financial and statistics in my former life, and I always loved creativity. And when I was finishing my MBA degree, I decided to press the reset button. And influenced by all these TV shows, I said, that's something that I want to do. So I started from scratch this new career. And then I got the opportunity, yes, to do the production design for Property Brothers. And this is a great opportunity for me to talk to 
uh, homeowners that are listening to us because these shows are amazing to inspire us to want to do renovations, but they are not 100% of what happens in real life. So it gives me an excellent opportunity when I meet clients to set expectations from the get-go and say, you're not going to have a renovation done in three weeks as you see in TV, but this is what's going to happen. And it has been a pleasure to do a lot of different projects and then got the opportunity to meet Nick and work in this passive house. That's so cool. I'm glad that reality TV shows have brought awareness to the building industry and the fact that you've worked on one and <laughs> you're also an interior designer. I think it's just cool that you can tell people and be like, wait, your home is not going to be built in a day. Yeah, especially because people forget that they're just watching a screen. They're not seeing exactly what's going behind scenes. And the other part is that when people engage in these reality shows, they don't have 100% control of what's going on. So the pace is very different. There are a lot of different variables that are completely different from what really doing a renovation is. It, they're great, as we mentioned, for inspiration to get people wanted to do it. And it's great that people watch them. And I'm happy they did when I work with, with the Property Brothers because it was a blast. Have you found your jobs gotten easier as more people have tuned into these types of shows? Or is it more things coming at you that you have to manage now? I think it goes both ways. Uh, on one side, people are more eager to do things, which is great. But then on the other hand, you have to be more clear on setting expectations right from the get-go so that there are not disappointments at the end. And that goes for everything that you do in, in the renovation industry from timing, budgets, what to expect, etc. Well, we spend a great deal of time talking about setting proper expectations for homeowners. So it's it's important that you add that as well, that you know, you're not going to get your basement renovated in three weeks. I do want to talk a little bit more about the project itself because it is a fascinating project. There's nothing like it out there. And it starts with where it was built. Let's not even go into how it was built or what makes that unique. It was built on a peat bog. Nick, I want to know why a peat bog and, and maybe let's take it a step further just in case someone doesn't know what a peat bog is. What's a peat bog? Yeah, it's basically a dried up swamp and building on a peat bog is kind of like building on a sponge. Very challenging journey began many years ago. I have a, a young family and we were we we're thinking about, well, where are we going to live? We can't stay in our, our one-bedroom apartments. And obviously there's an affordability issue here in, in Vancouver. So we were looking at moving to Port Moody or, or Victoria. But then this uh, this plot came up in a fantastic neighborhood. It's between Main and Fraser in Vancouver on 18th Avenue. Very up and coming, great for young families, great neighborhood. But there were two issues with it. One was that it was the 25 feet wide, which is incredibly narrow. And the other one is the, the peat bog issue. And uh, yeah, it's uh, you'll know if you're in an area of uh, where there's a peat bog, there's a few of them in Vancouver. If you just look around, you'll see the road is really bumpy and uneven. The houses are all leaning one way or the other. And the, yeah, the, the easiest way actually is look at the front fences, the, the garden fences, and they're all sinking or leaning or broken. Uh, you'll know you're in a peat bog. And Nick, on that point, before we obviously get into actually building a house, but you went through challenges with building it on top of this peat bog. Was there an added extra cost to it? Because you're not building on a normal foundation. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But I like to think that we save money overall. I think the land price was that much cheaper that the additional cost was uh, was still bringing us within budget. And I think that was largely because obviously being the being an architect and being the owner, I, I put a lot of time into it myself. So I was able to bring down the cost somewhat by doing that. It sounds like building a peat bog is quite a challenging proposition. How do you manage the foundation on something that's essentially a moving surface? Well, yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of complications with it. But uh, the solution we came up with, which was, was pretty uh, groundbreaking, was uh, uh, involved four 
40-foot piles. Uh, I think there was 46 of them in total. But the other issue relating to the peat bog is that the the, uh, the groundwater, the water table, was only two feet below grade. So we effectively had to build a boat. So the basement of our house is like a boat. Nick, I'm just going to ask for a bit of clarification. We've heard terms like step code passive house net zero and i think it's very overwhelming and confusing to somebody who doesn't really understand how this all works can you talk a little bit more about the term passive house what exactly is a passive house and is it like a net zero house or a step code house yeah similar so so passive house is considered to be the most rigorous global energy space standard in the construction industry today the step code is really it's mandated by the BC government and the city of Vancouver. Broken down, I mean, this, this was brought in in, in 2017, and, and really what it's about is a phased updates of the BC code, stepping towards us all building net zero ready homes by 2032. So that's not that far away. The difference when it comes to houses is five steps in the step code, and uh, as we as we move towards step code five, we're, we're getting very close to, uh, to passive house standards. And uh, for passive house, because you were just talking about step code. What is maybe a misconception of a passive house that someone might be like, oh, what is that? And why, why? I don't know if I want to live in one. Like, um, I guess the cost is the is the big issue, and it's still a very unknown question because uh, uh, there's, there's a lot of misinformation out there regarding that. I have an analogy for a passive house. So we have been talking about what's the cost of building a passive house. And it's a little bit difficult to put just a percentage of a value of what it will be. But it's an investment in your lifestyle. So it's like eating organic food. So when you eat organic food, maybe you're spending a little bit more, but then you might be saving down the road in medical bills or in the way you live that causes less stress or you can live in a more harmonious space. So if we look at it, like that a little bit. There are some characteristics of passive house that allow you to have that earth tightness. So that will make the space feel more harmonious because you're not so involved with what's going on the outside if you live down a busy street, for example. And then you're breathing fresh air all the time, which for me is one of the biggest advantages of, of a passive house. Yeah, and I think that's something that I, when I was doing my research for this and BCIT had quite a few videos about passive house, they're saying a lot of people think that they're not going to get fresh air in a passive house and that they feel like they're going to be in a plastic bag because everything's sealed up and they were like, that's the biggest misconception. Yeah, and you can still open your windows, like the windows that Nick put in his house are amazing. You can open them, but then when they're closed, you really have that air tightness, but you have fresh air all the time, regardless of the weather that is happening outside. So Nick, what exactly is a passive house? From a construction point of view, there's there's five principles, five main principles. And the first one is insulation, significant levels of insulation. Uh, the second one is air tightness. The third being high performance glazing, so uh, very high quality windows. Uh, the fourth is thermal bridge free construction. And what we mean by that is eliminating any weaknesses in the exterior of the building that allow heat to transfer in one direction or the other. And the final one is high efficiency heat recovery ventilation systems. So there's always uh, constant fresh air uh, being circulated around the house. And we just talked about the, the misconceptions, the biggest one being that uh, because it's so airtight that there isn't fresh air, but these uh, high efficiency um, HRV systems are, are constantly bringing and circulating fresh air. Yeah. And another thing that comes up too is the fact that is it going to be 
like during the winter months, are you going to have enough heat? And I know for somebody like myself who is very cold, like I always say, I'm like a lizard trying to find a hot rock during the winter. Are they warm in the winter? Absolutely. Well, that's that's one of the big benefits is that it's a constant temperature everywhere in the house all year round. And my wife, for example, she, she loves the heat. She would have that house set to 30 degrees. Uh, we came to a compromise. I don't, I'm not so big on the heat. So we came to a compromise of 22 degrees. Our house is constantly 22 degrees everywhere all the time. Not warm enough for me, but that's... <laughs> <laughs> I do want to talk quickly about indoor air quality too because we chatted earlier about that we were talking about the fact that usually every year now we're dealing with some changes in our environment and as a result forest fires are changing the air quality in the summer so that people can't leave their windows and doors open can you talk to us a little about how a passive house and how you built their house will help mitigate some of those problems that we're experiencing in the summer yeah absolutely we have two options with the house in the summer we can either have the windows open and, and rely on natural ventilation and it's designed so that hot air will naturally rise up through the uh, the building and exhaust through the uh, the rooftop door but also in the forest fire situation we can uh, we can close all those windows and because it's so airtight we can seal out all the smoke and the HRV the ventilation system uh, has filters in it and uh, it brings the air in and filters out any uh, any issues with it uh, any smoke and every, whatever else and uh, basically pumps it around the house and, and you've got constant fresh air and for the like design of a passive house I know for you your lot is very narrow but you were still able to make like the outside design still very pleasing. Is there like a standard design for passive houses or does it kind of just depend on what lot you're on? Yeah, well, the, the more cube-like a passive house is, the easier it is to get through certification. So that's a big issue with our houses. It's so long and narrow. It's 18 foot wide and uh, 48 foot long. So it's very much not a cube. So yeah, that came with a, a, a number of challenges. So the original pioneers that were building passive houses in BC and uh, you know I have big respect for those guys uh, kind of really leading the way on this they started off by building cubes with small punch windows which weren't that if, if we're honest architecturally interesting but you know that they were pioneers they were they were bringing this new technology to Canada but we've moved on from that now and I really do see passive houses being like we should treat it like the building code it is the standard to which we design but we don't let it dictate the architectural quality of, of what we're designing I think we've find ourselves for example reducing the amount of natural daylight we have or cutting out that beautiful view of the mountains or, or whatever else if we're downgrading the architectural quality in any way and we're not doing it right that's so cool i didn't know that there was like the layout was like a standard cube i didn't know that for passive houses the other thing i think is really interesting to look at this is two things first of all when we're planning this we have to also look at what that house might be worth when we go to sell it as well and so nick you can probably talk about this far better than i could but your house is going to be significantly more valuable than an equal size house on the same street simply because of how you built it, correct? Absolutely. I mean, there was many, many targets that we had uh, when we built this house and, and one of them was for it to last at least 100 years. And being from the UK, I mean, that's not unusual in the UK. You know, typical houses more than 100 years old. Really quite shocked when I moved to, to North America that really that is not the case here. And seeing builders tear down 30, 40, 50 year old homes, it, it's really, yeah, it's, it's, it's a real shame and it's really incredibly damaging to the environment to be building that way so naturally building passive house you're building to a very high quality so a knock-on of that is that the house and all the components inside it they're going to last a lot longer so if your house is depreciating at half the rate then your investment is a lot stronger is there a standard passive house size or can they be any amount of square footage when it comes to houses generally the smaller it is the harder it is to to get through the, the passive house energy modeling but really 
theoretically there's no there's no limits okay so you could have like a larger like a sixteen thousand <laughs> square foot passive home like it, it doesn't mean that a passive home is necessarily small no, absolutely and we can design passive houses that are big apartment buildings office blocks towers you name it there's no there's no restriction on building type and nick have you used any of the passive methodology for commercial spaces as well is this making its way into commercial builds as well absolutely we haven't yet had the opportunity to design a passive house certified commercial building but every commercial building we're designing we bring the principles of passive house to the table and try and incorporate them where possible nick and lucilla i'm loving this discussion and i want to take a deep dive into the passive house living and the cool features of nick's house but first we're going to take a quick break to thank our podcast sponsors so hang in there we'll be right back in 30 seconds measure twice cut once is grateful for the support from our podcast partners bc housing bc hydro and fortis bc their support helps us share expert knowledge and resources like you're hearing today from nick and lucilla to help build and design and renovate the home right for you and speaking of resources, the BC Energy Step Code program is a provincial standard that's moving the entire home building industry forward to build homes with better energy efficiency standards, which means better comfort, health, and safety. Be sure to check out betterhomesbc.ca where you'll find a variety of rebates for construction materials, home energy evaluations, plus mortgage and tax refunds. There are also rebates for renovations too. Just click on the rebate search tool button on the homepage of betterhomesbc.ca to find cost-saving resources for your next project or talk with your licensed builder or professional contractor they'll help guide you now let's get back to nick and lucilla what are the benefits because there's definitely benefits to building a home which we touched a little bit about on and of course benefits like anything once you have them it doesn't matter what the money costs because you've got better things coming towards you yeah when we promoted passive house originally we would focus on energy efficiency and a passive house has the potential to use up to 90 percent less energy than a typical home and that's a huge reduction obviously that has an impact on your energy bills uh, but maybe more importantly uh it has an impact on on the environment and when you think that some countries 50 percent of their total energy use is used within the buildings that we live and work in so if we reduce the energy usage of buildings by up to 90 percent that's going to have a huge positive impact on the environment reducing co2 emissions and and really tackling global warming another benefit to building a passive home is that they're a lot quieter they are indeed there's, i mean there's a lot of knock-on effects to to build into this sort of quality and, and i like to use the windows as uh, as an example so the high performance windows we have to use i mean they're typically triple glazed they're obviously energy efficient and airtight but they're also they're, they're very beautiful we, we used vetter windows on our house and they're aluminum on the outside they're beautiful windows a lot more environmentally friendly uh, than say using vinyl to build windows they're very robust and durable if you're building to that level of quality to, to be that airtight you can naturally going to be building windows that, that last a very long time and as you mentioned they're very soundproof you've got three layers of, of glass there and uh, I, I like the security aspect of it as well knowing that they have like multi-locked you know, locking systems the doors are incredibly safe as well that the glass is all three layers of layers of toughened safety glass they're incredibly difficult to break into so that's a huge peace of mind for our family i think the silencing feature was the most striking thing to me when i first came to the house when it was all done we stood on the front porch we talked a little bit you could hear the noise of the city we walked inside and it was literally like going inside an anechoic chamber you close the doors i felt like i was out of the city in the middle of nowhere and that's one of the ways we're balancing like we're seeing pollution from light and noise become a bigger part of the consideration in the design and building process and the fact that you're able to address this without making you drive an hour and a half to get into work every day is really impressive yeah absolutely and we've got huge windows on our on our house i really uh, appreciate natural daylight and access to natural daylight and we build that into all of our designs and i think uh, that coupled with uh, the health and comfort the, the constant fresh air the uh, the constant temperature 
you're getting into to an area where you really are benefiting people's physical and mental health. That stuff falls under the umbrella of comfort. But what was always the most striking to me when I went to that house was actually how narrow the home looks from the outside. And it's a narrow lot. It's a 25 foot lot. But when you go inside, it is like a cathedral in there. So who determined the interior layout? Uh, was it you or, or Lucilla or a little bit of both? I have the privilege of working with Lucilla on, on, on many projects. And Lucilla is a, a fantastic designer and, and really understands the industry. On this house, being my own house, being an architect, you know, I, I guess I took more of a lead on, on the interior, but Lucilla was there all the way to uh, to support and, and offer advice and direction. Yeah, I will say that I was the sounding board for Nick in this project. And something that really struck me is when Nick talked to me about this project, he started to describe it. Yeah, I'm building my home and it's going to be five bedrooms, five bathrooms. It's going to have 12 foot ceiling uh, living room. It's going to have a roof deck. So I was just picturing in my head a large home. And then he closed by saying, oh, yeah, and we're building this in a lot that only has 25 foot front. And then I said, did, did I listen properly? And I said, right away, I need to go and see those plans because I'm sure that the design that you have come up with to fit all of those things will be like very little bedrooms and no when you see the design actually the bedrooms are spacious you don't feel in a small home there's a walk-in closet and the other benefit is that it has a suite so as a mortgage helper as well to thinking about this kind of building in the city it really helps homeowners to engage in this kind of design now I have a question you're a designer you're an architect in this equation was your lovely wife she is neither of those things. How did she have a voice in all of this? <laughs> she needed to have a voice. Of course, she was living there. But I think one of the, the benefits that we brought into this project was that we were able to do a complete VR of the house. So they were able, especially Nick's wife, to visualize exactly how it was going to look like. I make the analogy that when you give just floor plans to a person in 2D, it's like giving someone that knows nothing about music giving them a score and expect them to imagine or listen how the orchestra will play so by doing a virtual reality of the whole house it was emerging feeling really how the house will feel in terms of space and looks and that really helped convince Nick's wife if she was hesitant about something then we show it then it's like oh no okay now I get it and also as well working with traits it's important to have that because then there is clear communication of what you're expecting them to produce and do. So. Lucilla to get that fifth bedroom how did you have to reconfigure that space to fit that in there? So that was actually for the basement so that the ensuite can have two bedrooms there so just and, and this was more like nick's magic playing around just hearing <laughs> some ideas and and making it work were you like dead set on five bedrooms so you were going to make it work no matter what this comes back to the affordability question as well like we needed to have a rentable suite to to make this work for us so also we, we were considering well where are we going to be in in five ten twenty years time so the way the house is set up right now it's a, a three-bedroom house um, over a two-bedroom suite but we can easily just by switching a configuration of of the, you know, which doors we lock, we can easily turn it into a four-bedroom house over a one-bedroom suite or maybe in the future uh, just have it as, as one big house. That's a big factor for us in terms of affordability. As an architect designing a house, it's always going to be experimental. It's an opportunity to uh, to test out new things. And, and one of the big targets was aiming for a really high level of space efficiency. And, and one way did, we did that was to make it split level. So the, uh, the upper floor is actually on two different levels, which enabled us to have much taller windows to get more solar gain on the front. And 
and it enables us to reduce the amount of corridors that we had to have in the house so that increased space efficiency. I just want to know what the challenges are of designing the interior space of like a very narrow home. So the biggest challenge is storage because especially when you have a family as well, kids come with a lot of things attached to them. So some of the configurations that Nick did in the design of the house allowed him to have, for example, storage in between floors. And there is like a huge amount of storage there. But then when it comes to furniture, you have to think as well, first of all, the proper size of furniture. People think that if they have a small space, then they should go with the tiniest little pieces of furniture. And no, they just have to be pieces that fit properly the space. And in this case, having them with all storage solutions. So all the sofas left so you can store things. Thinking about the dining room bench as well, everything underneath it is for storage. The playroom area as well, the family room area because there is a little kid, so toys comes with it. So as well, the sofa will lift and storage will be there. Entrance, there is an entrance bench where you can store your shoes, your clothes. So when you go in, you don't really see where all the stuff goes but there is a dedicated space for each and every one of the things. I love that. We had Jake Fry from SmallWorks Laneway Studios on the first episode of the season, and his comment about building uh, small laneway homes was like, how much is enough? How much is enough space? And I think that you summed it up perfectly. Like, as long as you have the proper storage in place, like, you can't go wrong. And that's interesting to me, too, that you said, because my mind says, if you're living in a smaller place, you need small furniture. I didn't realize, like, you can actually get regular-sized furniture. Like you said, it's about finding the right fit. I say that your eye needs to breathe as well. So when your eye is going around, it just needs to have that empty space so the eye can breathe, and it doesn't look like clutter or overwhelm. So if you allow those spaces, within the the area that you are designing then you can have regular size furniture right like Nick is a very tall guy so he's not going to be comfortable sitting in a sofa that is like very shallow on a very petite chair so it has to go with the ergonomics of the people that is living in the space there's a lot of storage areas that we haven't even started to fill yet and uh, I think if we ever do fill all of it I think we're doing something wrong we need to purge I think we're getting into the hoarding kind of uh, category there so uh, yeah I'm, I'm really happy with it how we're using the space right now and it goes to show like you said the home is very narrow so just because it's very narrow doesn't mean that you have to give up anything it's all about how it's designed and you can function in it properly put it this way if i put a blindfold on you led you into nick's home and took the blindfold off you wouldn't know you were in such a narrow home it's as big as any conventionally built home on a wider lot. And that just has to go again with, you know, how Nick has managed the space. And clearly he's been influenced by a methodology of design that is not necessarily North American, but certainly efficient. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, working in London, for example, like everything is about space efficiency. It's uh, it's it's number one thing, especially if you work on larger buildings like I did, uh, apartment buildings. It's, it's all about the percentage efficiency of that space because it, obviously space is a premium. Early in the show, we talked about five key principles air tightness insulation to avoid heat loss in winter minimize excessive heat in the summer ventilation system hrv transferring air windows and building envelope can these principles be incorporated into a home renovation to improve the quality of an existing home like say a 40 year old home like mine am i stuck or can i actually bring some of these principles into a renovation when it's come time for me to do it absolutely they can be applied to any building type any size uh, a renovation or a new build no definitely they can apply it to anything you can even apply passive house standards to a renovation project. So what are some of the areas in a renovation we can look at bringing some of these thought processes in? Like where are some of the immediate areas if I'm planning something that I can look at 
as ways to bridge the gap between what I have and what you've built? Well, the biggest thing is the envelope. And by envelope, we mean the, the exterior walls and roof and, and floor, the wrap of the building. And if you're able to renovate that and, and maybe add more insulation or add a, an intelligent air barrier membrane, then you are going to be getting towards uh, the passive house standard. And also an HRV, adding, adding a ventilation system, a heat recovery ventilation system would be a great benefit. And we're not talking hundreds of thousands of dollars with a lot of this stuff either, are we? No, absolutely. And you don't have to go the whole way like the more you can do the better but the, any anything is 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 better than nothing it's very true like i think a lot of us can learn from what we're hearing today and if we can take one small step forward into creating a home that's better for the environment maybe we can't do the whole thing at once but if we can like change a little few things here or there we're definitely gonna be in a better place and we can also use some of the things we've learned to be ahead of the curve we may not build a completely passive house but whatever we do moving forward we can be thinking ahead instead of looking behind and that's really really important too. Well, Nick and Lucila, the episode has been so informative. Learning about the benefits of passive house living is so inspirational. Oh, we've learned so much. I mean, to build a passive house and build the passive house level when compared to a quality built house may only be 10 to 15% more, but more importantly, passive homes are built for an improved lifestyle, better air quality, comfort with consistent temperature, improved light and sound, safety and quality for the protection of your family investment. If you could leave our listeners with just one last piece of advice, what would it be, Nick and Lucilla? So I want to point out that regardless of this project being very innovative in terms of passive house construction, I don't want us to overlook the fact that this is a new way of building a home in a very small space. So if you are thinking about the size of a duplex, so it's, it's similar to it, but this is a detached home where you have no neighbors, your own control of it, and it still feels more spacious than the normal configuration of what a duplex will create. So I think there's innovation here as well in how we can maybe start dividing lots in the city and allocating this type of homes. And if they're built in a passive way, well, even better. Yeah, I guess my advice would be to, to anyone that's thinking about building a house would be initially when you're when you're thinking about hiring the designers, the consultancy team, is don't cut corners on, on costs because really if you cut corners on, on the design phase, you're probably going to pay for it 10 times over during construction, both in, in resolving construction issues due to design not being resolved, but also uh, because your house probably won't be worth as much at the end of the day. Very well said, Nick. And if our listeners want to contact you, where is the best place to reach you. If you want to see more information about this house, uh, it's on our website, www.nickbray.ca. And I'll see all our contact information is there as well. Yeah. So if anyone has any questions about passive houses, they can come on to you. <laughs> Fantastic. And they can find information about Harmony Sense Interiors at www.harmonysense.com. And we'll be happy to help you guide you through the design process. I'm learning so much about building my own home and my project. Understanding the quality of living achievable by building a passive house is so enticing, especially the idea of improving comfort and sound, both inside my house with my screaming children, my dogs, and all my sound equipment, and as a barrier to external noise. I am definitely going back to the drawing board. I'm not sure a passive house will solve all your family's noise issues. I have been over to your home. But if you work with an interior designer to help you with the layout, you'll probably get some relief, like a little bit. Working with experts is always great advice, Jennifer Lee. Thanks for joining us today be sure to tune in next week we'll be talking with kiff mowett from davenport homes who took a single home property and built a duplex each with income helper suites for him and his brother so how the heck do they decide which one got the west side you will have to tune in to find out see you next week 
This has been Measure Twice, Cut Once, the podcast from Haven, the Home Builders Association, Vancouver. Thanks for joining us today. For notes and links to everything mentioned on today's episode, go to haven.ca slash measure twice, cut once. Follow us and review us to help empower homeowners like yourself to make the right decision the first time. Until next time, this is Mike Friedman. I'm Jennifer Lee, reminding you to measure twice and cut once. CanadianEvergreen.com is your trusted news source for all things green, offering up-to-date news and stories from Canada's booming cannabis industry. Content you can trust from Black Press Media.